so we begin today with the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qal qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man lam yada' qawla az-zuri wal'amala bihi wal-jahl falaysa lillahi hajatun fi an yada'a ta'amahu wa sharabahu this hadith where the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Whoever does not leave his evil speech and actions and foolishness, then Allah has no need for that person to leave his food and drink. The purpose of this hadith is to highlight that there are different types of things that impact upon your fasting. Of course, physical things like food and drink, they break your fast. There are physical types of things that break your fast, like eating, like drinking, etc. But then there are other types of things that impact upon your fast also. They may not necessarily invalidate your fast, it counts, but they take away the reward of your fast. And that is the evil speech and statements, the evil actions, the foolishness in behavior and character, those types of things detract from the reward of your fasting. So a person may fast from the morning till the night. A person may fast the whole day. No food, no drink, experiences the fatigue, experiences the hunger, the thirst, goes through the whole day makes it to Maghrib, and completes his fast. But maybe after all that day and tiredness and hunger and thirst, he gets perhaps no reward for the day. Even though the day counts as a fast, it hasn't broken because he's been lying and doing other types of activities of haram. It doesn't invalidate the fast, but it does invalidate or slowly take away the reward of that day. That's why this hadith says, a person who's not going to leave his evil speech, evil speech, lying, backbiting, slander, all types of evil speech, and evil actions, from the haram types of actions, jahl, meaning foolishness, A person who's not going to leave his evil speech and evil actions and foolishness, then Allah has no need for him to leave his food and drink, the hadith says. Meaning a person needs to recognize, it's not just about leaving your food and drink. (coughs) Fasting isn't just to stop eating and drinking, rather fasting is to stop your sins. Fasting is to drop your evil statements and actions. That is the real key behind fasting. 
And Allah told us that in the Quran, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may achieve piety. That's piety. Dropping your sins, dropping your evil statements and actions and foolishness. So a person who carries on with all of those things, but stops eating and drinking and thinks that's what Ramadan is and he's done it, then in terms of counting, it counts. But has he got any reward out of it? Every day, 18 hours a day, 19 hours a day, 20 hours a day, hunger, thirst, everything, and maybe no reward at the end of it. Because he's still carrying on as normal, carrying on with his lying and cheating and backbiting and slander, carrying on with his deception and everything else, but he's not eating and drinking only. That isn't what Ramadan is. Ramadan is to stop your sins also. So this hadith, it brings that point, highlights that point regarding the issues that also impact upon a person's fasting. Then after that, we move on to the narration regarding the forgetfulness in fasting. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من نسي وهو صائم فأكل أو شرب فليتم صومه فإنما أطعمه الله وسقاه This narration is now telling us regarding the one who eats and drinks forgetfully the one who eats and drinks forgetfully, the ruling is that the fast is still valid and he continues with that fast. The fast is still valid and he continues with that fast if it was genuinely from forgetfulness. But when a person remembers, he must instantly stop eating. Even if you had something in your mouth and you're chewing it and you remember you must spit that out, it is not permissible to carry on with it. If you carry on with it after you remembered, it would break your fast. So the one who accidentally eats or drinks, it does not break your fast. And Allah said in the Quran, لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا Do not hold us accountable if we forget or we make a mistake. And similarly, uh, it's mentioned in a hadith, that the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَجَاوَزَ عَنْ أُمَّةِ الْخَطَأْ وَالنِّسْيَانِ وَمَسْتُكْرِهُ عَلِهِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven for my ummah forgetfulness and uh, mistakes and what they are compelled to do. Compulsion. So a person who forgetfully eats and drinks, it doesn't break your fast. But you must instantly stop as soon as you remember. If a person eats the full meal and only remembers afterwards, it's still okay and the fast would still count. Then the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu qal, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man dhara'ahu al-qay' fala qada'a alayhi, wa man istaqa'ah fa'alayhi al-qada'a. That whomsoever, is overcome by vomit, then there is nothing to make up. But whomsoever makes himself vomit, then his fast is broken. 
So this hadith now tells us regarding the issue of vomit. We said before there are two types of things that break your fast. Either by inserting something into your body, like food and drink, or by removing something from your body. In the case of vomiting, obviously you are removing something from your body. So a person who purposely makes himself vomit, either by physically putting his finger into his mouth, or by looking at something of a disgusting nature, or smelling something of a disgusting nature, that would cause the vomit to occur. Anybody who purposely makes themselves vomit, then it breaks your fast and you have to make up that day and seek repentance. But a person who is genuinely feeling ill and is genuinely overcome by vomit, then there is nothing upon him, his day still counts. That is the difference between somebody who is overcome by vomit compared to somebody who makes themselves vomit. Because when a person's fasting, the stomach may be in pain, and a person wants to vomit to get it out and clear it out and feel better, so a person may make themselves vomit on purpose. If that is the case, it breaks the fast, and you have to make up that day and seek repentance. Then after that, we come on to the topic of traveling when fasting. And this was the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah, the hadith regarding when they left Mecca and they went to Medina in the year of the conquering, in the year when they conquered Mecca, eighth year of Hijrah, and that was during Ramadan. So the Prophet ﷺ and the uh, Muslims, they left out and they were all fasting of course that morning then. And they continued upon this journey towards Medina. Until they got to Qura' al-Ghamim, a place along the way. So when they got to that place and everybody was fasting, some of them came to the Prophet ﷺ and they told him, إِنَّ that fasting has become very difficult upon everyone. They were traveling in the heat and the desert all of that distance. So the Prophet ﷺ that he called, uh, he told them to bring him a vessel, a bucket, a bowl of water, which he raised up in front of the people. So all of the people eventually when they were looking at him, shariba, he drank that water in front of them all. And that was during the day still before Maghrib. So he opened his fast in front of them all. Everybody realized, therefore, as travelers, we don't have to be fasting. And so they opened their fast. But a few of them did not open their fast. A few of them remained fasting. So the Prophet ﷺ said, sinners. They are sinners. Ula'ika al-usat. Ula'ika al-usat. They are the sinners. Why? Because this was a circumstance when they were not able to burden fasting, traveling in the desert and the heat and all day from Medina, Mecca, all of that distance. They couldn't, but they were insisting on doing it with that difficulty and hardship and harm. So they were sinners doing it in that circumstance. But then we did come across the narration of Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami, the companion radiallahu anhu who said to the Prophet sallallahu Ya Rasulullah, inni ajidu bi quwwatan ala as-siyam fi as-safar, fa hal alayya haraj, hal alayya junah? 
that O Messenger of Allah, I find strength in of myself to fast when I'm traveling. So is there any sin upon me for that? So the Prophet ﷺ told him, هِيَ رُخْصَ مِنَ اللَّهِ فَمَنْ أَخَذَ بِهَا فَحَسَنْ وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَسُومَ فَلَا جُنَحَ عَلَيْهِ That it's a permission Allah has given you. When you're traveling, you have the permission to miss the fasting. So whoever takes that permission, that's good. Because in Allah يُحِبُّ أَنْ تُؤْتَرُخَ So Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you in the narration. But whomsoever decides they want to fast, that's okay too. So this hadith is telling us, you can fast when you're traveling, but for who? For the one who is actually properly able, has ability and strength to do so. As for the one who is overcome and weak and is unable and gonna harm themselves and burden, then no, they should not be fasting. But for the one physically capable, then it's a choice they have, they're able to fast if they want when they're traveling, then nothing to make up afterwards. Or they can take the permission Allah has given anyway, even if they're capable, not fast. And make them up afterwards, that is possible. And it is a choice able to them. <coughs> then we move on to the narration of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma qal, رُخِّصَ لِلشَّيْخِ الْكَبِيرِ أَنْ يُفْطِرْ وَيُطْعِمْ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمٍ مِسْكِينًا وَلَا قَضَاءَ عَلَيْهِ that a, a permission, another permission has been given to the elderly in age. That they can miss the fasting. Meaning those who are elderly in age and too weak to be able to fast, then they have the permission to not fast. That is mentioned in this hadith. And it also tells us the ruling. That they are to feed a poor person for every day that they miss. And they don't have to make up any of those fasts. They can miss due to old age and weakness. And they can just feed a poor person for every day they miss. And they don't have to make up any of the days. That is the clear ruling mentioned here regarding those who are elderly in age. So now if you were to round up some of these subjects. How many different types of people have we seen who are allowed to miss the fasting. Four main categories you could say. Four main categories of people who are allowed to miss the fasting. Category one. We just done it, the elderly. You could say that as a category of people who are allowed to miss the fasting. The elderly in age who are too weak to be able to fast now. As for the elderly in age who are still capable, then they have to fast. If they're able, they're healthy, they can do it, fast. But the elderly in age who are no longer capable, weakness has overcome them, they can miss. And the ruling for them is they feed a poor person for every day. Second category, who's allowed to miss? The travelers. If a person is traveling, they're allowed to miss the fast. Again, there was some explanation about it. If a person is capable, then they have the choice, they can fast if they want. But at the same time, they can choose to miss, they have the option, it's allowed to miss when you're traveling. And the ruling upon them, if they do miss it, to make those days up afterwards, not give fidya or anything. Make up those days afterwards. Category 3 of the people who are allowed to miss the fasting. 
medical conditions, people who are ill, people who are ill, people who are sick, they are allowed to miss the fasting. But again, there is criteria. Not everybody who's sick can miss the fasting. Rather, there's criteria to it. So just because somebody has a headache one day doesn't mean that's it. They can say, I'm going to miss the fasting. Got to be something of some criteria. And the criteria some of the scholars they mention is that it's got to be some type of illness whereby if you were to fast during that illness you're in, it would prolong the period of recovery. That is a criteria. If your period of recovery would become extended due to fasting whilst ill, then you can miss. That is one criteria. Another criteria, if by fasting during that illness, it increases the pain that you're in, then that is another criteria allowing you to miss. So the extension in your recovery time, the increase in the harm to yourself, those are the two main factors involved in deciding whether an illness prevents you from fasting or not. If there's no impact on how quickly you're going to recover, there's no impact upon your body, it's not causing you any pain, any difference, then being ill isn't an automatic reason to stop fasting. It's got to be something. If it's going to cause you harm, cause you difficulty, increase the pain and the, the illness, increase the level of illness, extend the period of recovery, those kind of things are going to happen, then okay, you can miss the fasting when you're ill. So that is something they mentioned. Some of the Salaf used to say as well, if you're not able to leave your home, then that shows you are ill enough to miss your fasting. But if you're good enough to get up and leave your home and go to the shops or whatever, you're not ill enough to miss fasting. So a person has to judge that level of illness. What is the ruling on the one who misses the fasting for illness then? Huh? Depends, why? So it depends on the type of illness. If the illness is temporary, somebody's got a, a flu for a week, so you miss one week of Ramadan, after Eid you'll be recovered again, so the ruling for you is to make up the days. It was only a temporary illness, a few days. We'll come to that. But the temporary illness though, if you're only ill for a few days, and you get better, then afterwards the ruling is you have to make up those days. The other type of illness is, if you're like on medication long term, the doctors tell you, you got some disease, some illness, some problem, it's never going to get better. You're on this medication, you're staying on that medication. Every day, repeat prescription for the rest of your life. You've got some problem with your stomach, you've got some problem somewhere else, you are permanently going to be upon that illness. There's no hope for recovery. Doctors tell you that's how you're going to be now. Take your medicine every day, take your pills every day, you're just going to be like this for the rest of your life now. So that person can never fast. Imagine that illness is something that prevents him from fasting, and the doctors are telling him, take your medication regularly every day for the rest of your life, every day, every four hours, you got to do it. So what's he going to do? He can't fast now, he's not going to be able to make up afterwards, because he's still going to be on that medication. So what can he do? That type of person can miss the fasting and pay, or not pay, but feed a poor person for every day. It's not about payment. Payment, you give it to the mosques and places and they 
then buy the food and feed the poor people. You can't give money to a poor person. So you, you do the fidya, the person does the fidya, meaning pays the money for the food to be bought for a poor person every day. Food for a poor person every day. That's the one who's permanently ill, temporarily ill. Then when you've recovered, you have to make up the fasts, even if you're temporarily ill for a long time. Doctors say you've had something with your body, it's going to take three months to recover. So you're going to miss Ramadan, and for two more months after Ramadan, you're still going to be recovering. No problem. In four months' time, you can start making up the fasts. It's temporary. You're expected to recover. As long as you are expected to recover, you can't give the fidya, you need to recover, and then start fasting. If it turns out you're not recovering, and doctors change their diagnosis, then okay, maybe the fidya later. But if you're expected to recover, two months, three months, course, medication, everything, they say, in three months' time you'll be good. In that case, you wait until you recover, and then you make up. So difference regarding the ill person, whether it's temporary or permanent. So that was the third category. First was the elderly, we said there. Second was the travelers. Third was the ill people. What's the fourth category of people who can miss fasting? Certain conditions with women. So for example, the woman who is on her period, and the woman who is on her postnatal bleeding after birth, after childbirth, they must miss fasting. It's haram for them to fast. A woman on the period, haram for her to fast. It doesn't count. A woman on her postnatal bleeding after giving birth, haram. She cannot fast. It won't count. So for those two situations, the women must miss and then make up the days afterwards. They must miss and make up the days afterwards. There are two other situations with women and they are Pregnancy and breastfeeding. With pregnancy and breastfeeding, there's a part A and part B to both situations. If a woman is pregnant or breastfeeding, some scholars, this is opinion number one, some scholars say a woman who is breastfeeding or pregnant is just like the ruling of a traveler. A traveler when he's traveling, whether he's capable or not, has the right to miss. Even if you're capable, do you have the right to miss when you're traveling? Absolutely, you have. Even if you're fit and strong. If you're traveling, you have the right to miss fasting that day. And you can make it up afterwards. Some scholars say the pregnant women and the breastfeeding women are just like the traveler in terms of the ruling. Meaning, if they're pregnant and breastfeeding, they have the right to miss fasting and they can deal with that afterwards then. They have the right to miss fasting. The second opinion though is that a pregnant and breastfeeding woman is more like, not the traveler, but the ill person. Somebody who is ill. Somebody who is ill, is it automatic you miss fasting? Not straight away automatic like we said. You got to look at, is it going to harm you? Is it going to cause some problems? Somebody's got a minor headache for the day, that's not going to be that say I'm not going to fast all day. A minor headache, two hours later, rest, it's gone. So, you could have some problem medically, but it may not be anything preventing you from fasting, true? Some scholars say a pregnant and breastfeeding woman is like that situation. That she doesn't have an automatic right to miss just because she's pregnant or breastfeeding. Rather, you need to look at the harms and the impacts. If a pregnant or breastfeeding woman is going to be harmed through fasting, her health or her child's health, 
or uh, with regards to the production of the milk to breastfeed, if any of those things are going to be impacted and harmed, then okay, she has a right to miss fasting. If they're not, some women, mashallah, fit, healthy, everything, fasting doesn't impact on a thing, then they should fast. If it's not going to impact upon them in any way, and they're okay, maybe certain stage of the pregnancy where it's not an issue, maybe in the breastfeeding, the production of milk is not an issue, they fast and it's still going perfect, then in that case they should fast. So some scholars say it's not an automatic right for pregnant and breastfeeding women. Others say it is an automatic right. So that's a difference about whether it's an automatic right or with criteria. So now let's say they have missed upon whichever opinion. Breastfeeding woman or a pregnant woman has missed some days. What's the ruling afterwards then now? To make it up? That is an opinion. Or to feed a poor person every day is an opinion. So you have a part A and part B in what they have to do afterwards too. Some scholars say they got to make up the days. They have to make up the days. Other scholars say no. They don't have to make up. They can just feed a poor person for every day. So if a woman was pregnant and she missed Ramadan because of her pregnancy, some scholars say after the pregnancy she has to make up the days. Other scholars say no, she doesn't. She can just feed a poor person for every day that she missed because of pregnancy. Same with breastfeeding. Some scholars say once she finishes the breastfeeding, she's got to make up those days. Others, they say no. If she missed because of breastfeeding, she can just feed a poor person for every day. Some scholars even make the differentiation, and this is in the more detailed books of fiqh. They say a woman who's pregnant, if she misses the fasting because of fear to her own health, then there's a particular ruling. And if she missed the fasting because of fear to her unborn baby, then there's a different ruling. So they differentiate in accordance to the reason why she missed. So you have a lot of differences regarding those issues. Uh, you need to examine those, look into them in more detail. But there are differences of opinion over those issues a lot. Which is the strongest opinion? Allah, the strongest opinion is... With those ones it requires looking into and they are lengthy and they have evidences on both sides. So you can examine those issues, read up into them and then you decide what you see as the evidences and you stick with, with one of those opinions. Then after that, we come to the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha where she said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقبل وهو صائم ويباشر وهو صائم ولكنه أملككم لإربه متفق عليه that the Prophet وسلم, used to kiss when he was fasting and engage in intimate behavior lesser than intercourse but he was of the most controlling of nature over all of you he was of the most controlled of nature over all of you. So, Aisha radiallahu anha tells us here that the Prophet ﷺ, whilst fasting, would kiss, kiss his wives. And that he would engage in the intimate activity with them, lesser than intercourse, of course. However, Aisha mentions at the end, he was the most controlling, most controlled individual more than any of you though. 
So what does this hadith indicate to us then? What's the ruling then? If somebody said, now what is the ruling between uh, the spouses in terms of marital intimacy, lesser than intercourse, of course, that is impermissible, breaks your fast. But any other type of marital intimacy or physical contact, etc. What is the, the ruling on that for somebody fasting? Hadith does make it clear that point at the end is stressed that the Prophet ﷺ had control over the affair. That point is stressed at the end by Aisha radiallahu anha that it's all about the control of the affair. Therefore, basically, the scholars, they say, anybody in their youth, and when we say youth, we're not just talking teens and 20s and 30s. Anybody under the age of probably 60, 70 almost. Anybody in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s possibly. Those types of people should not engage in physical intimacy when fasting. Because typically, that opens up the door to something that may... Not that may break the control and the resolve of the couple. So you don't open up the door to those, to those things. Many of the scholars, as Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions here, for those in their younger days, 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe 50s, 60s, Allah Alam, depending on the person, that you don't engage in intimate physical contact during fasting because it opens up a door to something that you may not be able to control thereafter. But the elderly in age, where those affairs are not really a fear, then it's more leeway for them. More leeway for the one who does not have fear of those affairs. But for the younger ones, where clearly that fear exists, then it's not something that a person should engage in uh, during fasting. And that is what Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions here. That it's not permissible or correct for a person to really engage in that. And really this is only for the elderly and for those who don't have any fear of that door opening in the first place. That is regarding that. Then we have a hadith about a man who ended up having intercourse whilst fasting. In this hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiyallahu anhu qal, جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال A man came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and said هلكت يا رسول الله I've, I'm ruined O Messenger of Allah I'm destroyed A man came to the Prophet and said to him O Messenger of Allah I'm destroyed I'm ruined I'm finished قال وما أهلكك The Prophet said to him What has destroyed you what's what's ruined you what's happened qal ramadan the man said i ended up having intercourse with my wife during ramadan in the day when i was fasting and she was fasting faqal so the prophet said to him hal tajidu ma tu'tiqu bihi raqaba are you able to free a slave are you able to free a slave the man said, I don't have the means or the money to be able to buy and free a slave. Are you, the Prophet then said to him, are you able to fast two months in a row? Every day, two months in a row. 
Qalala, the man said, I, myself, I can't do that. Whatever reasons, health, ability, said, I can't do that. Qal, فَهَلْ تَجِدُ مَا تُطْعِمُ سِتِّينَ مِسْكِينَ Then the Prophet ﷺ said, in that case, do you have enough wealth to be able to feed 60 poor people? To feed 60 poor people? Qal, la. The man said, I don't, I don't have the wealth to do that. ثُمَّ جَلَسَ Then he sat down. فَأُوتِيَ النَّبِي سَلَّمْ بِعَرَقٍ فِيهِ التَّمْرِ Then a bowl with some dates was brought to the Prophet ﷺ. فَقَالْ تَصَدَّقْ بِهَذَا The Prophet ﷺ said to him, go and give charity with these dates. فَقَالْ أَعَلَى أَفْقَرَ مِنَّا The man said, is there anybody literally poorer than me and my family? He was the poorest in the village. He said, is there anybody poorer than me? Who can I give the charity to? They were the poorest family there. So then when he said that, he mentioned, فَمَا بَيْنَ لَا بَتَيْهَا أَهْلُ بَيْتٍ أَحْوَجُ إِلَيْهِ مِنَّا There isn't a family here who is more in poverty than my family. There isn't, literally. فَضَحِكَ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم So the Prophet laughed. حَتَّى بَدَتْ أَنْيَابُهُ until his teeth were apparent from the laughter. He laughed and his teeth were apparent. ثُمَّ قَالْ إِذْهَبْ فَأَطْعِمْهُ أَهْلَكَ So the Prophet said, in that case, take it and give it as charity to your own family. Feed your own family with it. The purpose of this narration is to highlight what? We know, of course, and the narration highlights the impermissibility of intercourse between the spouses when fasting. The impermissibility of engaging in that and engaging in anything that would lead to that. So that is impermissible and it should not be done, the intercourse during the fasting. This man, of course, ended up doing that. So he came to the Prophet ﷺ to say, I've destroyed myself, basically to ask, what do I do now? I've ended up doing that, I've committed the sin, what's upon me? So the Prophet ﷺ told him what's upon him. The expiation for doing that is firstly to either free a slave. If you're not able to free a slave, then to fast two months in a row. Every day, two months in a row. If you can't do that, then feed 60 poor people. They are the three things mentioned in that order. Free a slave, if can't, then fast two months in a row. If you can't, then feed 60 people, poor people. The scholars, they said that this is in order. Many of the scholars, they say it's that order. Meaning if you ended up doing that sin, then you have to repent and you have to free a slave. You can't free a slave, and these days wouldn't really be possible then what would be the next thing you would have to do for that sin? Fast two months in a row every single day. Two months in a row every single day. You would have to fast. If you couldn't for medical reasons and things, not just because it's so difficult, even if it is difficult, that's upon you now, you did the sin. Not just because it's difficult and two months and you're saying, how am I going to do that? If you're able, you can fast, then you fast. Two months in a row every day. Only if you're physically, medically not able, literally because of weakness in your body or some genuine reason, 
medically or otherwise, you can't do the two months in a row, then you move on to the third option, which is feeding 60 poor people. That is the fatwa, or that is the ruling that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned here, regarding the one who ended up having intercourse during the day. So, in summary, we can say, a person who ended up doing that sin, it breaks your fast, obviously, invalidates your fast, the one who commits the intercourse during the day. Secondly, it also indicates that there is an expiation upon you if you did that. It's not just a case of make up the day afterwards. There's an expiation upon you that you have to do as well. And that expiation, as we mentioned, is either free a slave, fast two months in a row, or feed 60 people in that order. Uh... It is therefore not permissible for somebody to say that if they've ended up doing that, I've got money, I'll just pay out for 60 people's worth of food. You can't. If you're able, you're fit and healthy, you're, you're a young man, then upon you is the freest day. If you can't do that, then two months of fasting. Not just say, well, I'll just feed 60 people. Two months of fasting. If you're not physically, properly, medically able, genuinely, then the 60 people. But you can't just say, but two months is too long. That's your problem now. You fell into that sin. That's the expiation you have to do now. So it's in that order. You can't just pick your order. You can't just say, I'll feed the 60 people and I'm done. You have to go through that order. Some of the scholars say that this only applies if it was done on purpose. Remember before about food and drink accidentally doesn't break your fast. Some say even with this the same applies. If genuinely, genuinely the couple forgot about fasting and they engaged in the activities and then afterwards they remembered today's fasting, then some of the scholars say there'd be nothing upon them. Because if it was genuine, genuine forgetfulness, then nothing upon them, some scholars say. But nevertheless, otherwise, as we've seen, there is that expiation. Then we have the hadith of Aisha and Umm Salama, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, anna nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yusbihu junuban min jima' thumma yagtasil wa yasum. During the night, after Maghrib up until Fajr, of course, it is permissible to engage in intercourse and uh, the intimacy between the spouses of that nature. So now if a person engaged in intercourse during the night between Maghrib and Fajr, during the night time after opening the fast, in the morning, let's say the person hasn't made his ghusl yet. Do you have to have made your ghusl before the close time, the Fajr entry time? the end of the suhoor time, the close time, do you have to make your ghusl before that? Or can you make it after that? You won't have to, because usually when you wake up from like emissions, uh, you can obviously do a ghusl at that point. Anyways, for example, when you wake up in the morning, and um, you know, in a position you need to do a ghusl, you can still be in a position of fasting anyway. So, so you're saying it's not a condition to have to do the ghusl before the close time? You could do it after the close time as long as you do it before Fajr time finishes. Obviously, you got to do it then to pray your Fajr in time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it can be after the close time, you're saying. Yeah. Anybody else? You'll miss Fajr in that case, obviously, if, 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 if you're not 
Yeah, so, so what basically you're saying, after the close time, after the close time, you've got maybe an hour and a half before sunrise. That's your Fajr time. So you could go past the close time, half an hour into it, and make your ghusl and still pray Fajr in time. So is that allowed or not is the question. So you're saying it wouldn't be allowed? It would be allowed, yeah. Anybody else? Or is there anybody saying, no, before the close time, you need to be upon purity to start your fast? Is there anybody saying, how can you start your fast upon impurity? Nobody? Some condition that you have to be pure. Yeah, right. So, there's a hadith here. The Prophet ﷺ would wake up upon that janabah from the intercourse, and he would... Make the ghusl and then fast. Meaning, after the close time. It's not a condition to have to make the ghusl before the close time, before the fajr entry time. You could do it afterwards, but obviously soon afterwards because you got to pray your fajr. So, you have a bit of leeway. You may have that half an hour or so after the close time to have your ghusl get ready and go to the jama'ah. Because even now with the close time, the jama'ah is what, 20-25 minutes after that. So maybe you could have your suhoor, then the close time has started now, then go make your ghusl and everything, go to the mosque and make it. You've made your ghusl after the close time, but it's okay. It's not a condition to have to be upon that purity before the close time. And that's what this narration indicates, that the Prophet ﷺ used to make that ghusl afterwards, and the fasting would still be correct. Then the, oh, one more issue with that, a person who has a wet dream. Imagine now, imagine now you, you in the morning have your suhoor, pray your fajr, go to sleep after fajr. And you get up at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. You get up at 10, 11 a.m. and you notice you've had a wet dream. So that's obviously happened in the fasting time. You went to sleep after fajr prayer. And now you've woken up 10, 11, 12, and you've noticed you've had a wet dream. <coughs> What's the condition? What's the ruling on your fast now? So your fast doesn't break with that? Anybody no. else? Huh? And carry on, your fast is okay? Doesn't break it, you're right. That doesn't break your fast. Because you are sleeping. Absolutely. You're asleep, it's not of choice. Nothing from your choice, you're asleep and you had the wet dream. Happen. Happens, happens. So you make the ghusl, you make the ghusl, and that's it. And then you carry on. The final narration today, hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, man mata wa alayhi siyam, sama'an huwa liyu. Whoever dies, and they've still got days left to make up, then the next of kin makes up those days. Meaning, imagine now you went traveling in Ramadan for a couple of days. So you got two days to make up, you didn't fast. Or you were ill for a couple of days. After Eid, you die. And you haven't made up those two days that were obligatory upon you to make up. So now the hadith says the next of kin makes up those days on your behalf. That narration would seem to very clearly indicate that very same point. That if you've got days to make up, and you die before making them up, because obviously after Ramadan, how long have you got to make them up? The whole year, year up until next Ramadan, you can make them up. 
So imagine you die before you got around to making them up. So they are still upon your shoulders. The next of kin makes them up, the hadith says. It's not as simple as that though. There are two opinions about this. One opinion of the scholars says exactly that. You die, you got days left to make up, the next of kin has to make them up on your behalf. That's an opinion. The second opinion is that actually obligatory fasts cannot be done by anybody else on behalf of someone else. Prayer, for example, can you ever pray a prayer on behalf of somebody else? Never. They say obligatory fasts, the same. You can never fast an obligatory fast on behalf of somebody else. So fasting Ramadan, is it obligatory or not? Absolutely. They say these kinds of fasts, Ramadan ones, you can never make them up on behalf of somebody else. So which types can you make up on behalf of somebody else? What does this hadith mean then? Not necessarily supererogatory, because supererogatory is not upon you to do anyway. What types of obligatory ones are there that aren't obligatory by default? Vows and things. Imagine somebody makes a vow. They take an oath. I vow I'm going to fast three days next month. Next month, Shawwal, is it obligatory upon anybody to fast three days? Obligatory. No. Somebody vows I'm going to fast three days. Now it's become obligatory for that person. If he's vowed it, when you vow like that, you take an oath and a vow, you've made it obligatory. Were they obligatory before that? No. So that's the type of one you could make up on behalf of somebody. Imagine that person died now without fulfilling his vow. You could fast those three days and fulfill the vow on his behalf. Because those fasts were not by default obligatory. As for fasts that are obligatory by default, like Ramadan, then some of the scholars say, no, you can't ever do those on behalf of anybody else. So what do you do in that situation then? If somebody in Ramadan had days left to make up and they died? If you can't make them up upon this opinion, then what do you do? What's the only other thing left really? What's the only other thing left really? Feeding a poor person for the days. You could do that, you could give in charity, as some scholars say, give in charity, feed the poor people for those days. But you can't fast obligatory fasts on behalf of other people. So that's, uh, and that's an opinion. The other opinion, like we said, they say, yes, you can. The hadith says you can, you can do it. But because there are some other hadith that are more specific, and they talk about the fasts you can make up on other people, are the ones which are vowing ones. So that's why you got this difference between the scholars on that topic. That's why we're going to round off today. Next session, we're going to start with the topic of the taraweeh prayer. The rulings about the taraweeh prayer. And the rulings about Laylatul Qadr. We got uh, two more Sundays left, I think. Huh? Two, I think. Let's see. One, two. Two more Sundays. We have two more Sundays left, inshallah. Definitely one, most likely two more Sundays. We'll use those to talk about the topics of the taraweeh prayer. <laughs> 8, 20, all of those different subjects and about Laylatul Qadr and the, the virtues of Laylatul Qadr and when is Laylatul Qadr those types of topics in the next couple of sessions inshallah ta'ala any questions on that tonight then? one meal one meal for the day Hmm. 
this dua, you know, the dua that people make on the witr, some people that prolong it, is that from the sunnah? It's not from the sunnah to make a long dua for witr. Some people, they stand and make the witr dua sometimes 15 minutes long. Brother, if you could, brother, if you could allow us a moment, huh? Some people, they may make the witr dua for 15 minutes long, 20 minutes long, 30 minutes long. Even I've seen it myself, 40 minutes sometimes. That type of thing is not from the sunnah. It's not from the sunnah to make a witr dua that long. And neither is it from the sunnah to do the witr dua like you're reading the Qur'an. You know, some of the imams, they do the witr dua, and you, if you walk in, you think he's reading the Qur'an, the way he's reciting it. Like Qur'an recitation. You're not supposed to do the witr dua like Qur'an recitation. It's not Qur'an recitation, it's a dua. So you're supposed to do it in a much more calm voice. Not a Qur'an reciting voice. And you're not supposed to make it long like that either. In some narrations it mentions the Salaf used to say, you make it as long as one of the small surahs at the end of the Qur'an. Like you, If you read that, how long does it take? Two, three, four minutes, five minutes. That's how long your witr dua is, a few minutes. It's not these 15, 20, half an hour, 40 minutes. That's a mistake they make, it's a mistake. It's not supposed to be that long. The sunnah is shorter than that. If it's done, it's done. It's not, it's not haram. It's not invalidating your prayer, but it's not the sunnah to do it that long. There's no basis for congregational prayers and du'as, but your du'a is yourself. You make your own du'a at the time of iftar, and there's no congregational one you do together, everybody together doing a du'a. That's not uh, evidenced. For the person that come in, uh, that on purpose I didn't mention it because there's more differences of opinion about this some scholars they say it's not upon the wife even if she did it on purpose with the husband only the husband has to do the expiation other scholars say no the wife too she has to do it too two months fasting everything as well there's a difference about that hmm. yeah, I'm just going to ask you a question about this you know, second time because you're some mosques obviously like knock it back half an hour in terms of the start time. Can I can I just still go by you know for example um, on the calendars that I follow? I usually the prayer time like an hour, uh, the start time for example like an hour after the start time that I do for the Ramadan. So no, of course, D- don't follow the timetables that have moved their fajr back by an hour or two from their just from a week ago. A week ago they were praying fajr at four a.m. Now all of a sudden, 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m. Don't follow those calendars. Do it at the, the you get the uh, Al-Basira calendar, other calendars, the normal calendars, normal Fajr time, you do your fasting on that. Forget about these other 1 a.m. closes and 1.50 closes. It closes these days, what, 2.30, 3 o'clock earliest. 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.15, that's what time it closes. Is what, sorry? Exactly, exactly. So don't follow those calendars where they've pushed it back by an hour, two hours. Normal calendar where the normal Fajr time was a week ago, that's where your fasting is. That's where it is, yeah. Khalas, we'll leave it there. Go on. Yeah, it can be paid from their inheritance, from their money they leave behind. Take it out from that and pay it.